0: Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. A rainy day here in the southeast. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. The thirtieth day of January, two thousand and twenty-three. We're already a month into this thing. I, Jesus, seems like it was just New Year's Eve, and we're already uh, we're already on the thirtieth. Unreal. Well, welcome to our show this morning. Got a lot to get to this morning. Of course, the AFC and NFC championship games yesterday. So we'll, uh, we'll get to all that uh, coming up. Uh, hey, it's Gene Hackman's 93rd birthday. I saw that this morning when I was uh, reading the paper. And it, and it got me thinking, you know, he's, uh, he's been retired for a while. I think the last movie he made was the Royal Tannenbaums. And, God, that had to be, God, how long ago? That must have been seven, eight years ago. But I was just thinking about all the great movies this guy was in and s- some of my favorite movies. I mean, of course, he, he kind of his is the one that brought him to the attention of everybody really was when he played Popeye Doyle in The French Connection. Uh, but uh, so many good movies. He, was, of course, the, was the basketball coach in Hoosiers. Great, great sports movie. Uh, remember the Poseidon Adventure? I remember that when the, uh, uh, the uh, cruise ship overturned and uh, – uh, he was leading people to safety, and he was Lex Luthor and Superman. Uh, he was in A Bridge Too Far, another a, a great movie, a World War II movie. Um, perhaps one of his most disturbing uh, uh, portrayals when he was the sheriff in uh, The Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. That was a great movie. Very dark, but great, great movie. But anyway, uh, just 93rd birthday today, and I uh, just wanted to take a second to uh, recognize that. Uh, one of my favorite actors of all time. Um, before we get to sports, I'm sure everybody saw, and we won't we won't belabor it this morning. But my God, uh, the video footage of Tyree Nichols being beaten by five police officers in Memphis just horrific, horrific. And you know, look, there are a lot of people in this country with a healthy distrust of. Law enforcement, and not just not just the black community, but everybody. Don't don't trust the police, and you know, look, there are a lot of the majority of police officers are good people. You know, and they do a good job, but man, when you have stuff like this and the stuff that happened, uh, you know, uh, that that's happened around this country the last several years, you know, the George Floyd beating. You know, we have so many instances. I mean, going all the way back to when Rodney King had the crap beat out of him in Los Angeles back uh, decades ago. I mean, it has just been one thing after another, and there's a lot of cases where these guys just run amok, and it is brutal. And there's got to be some changes, but I don't know how we do that. Look, you know, I just mentioned uh, uh, Gene Hackman playing uh, the sheriff in The Unforgiven back you know, in uh, a movie that was set in the Old West. And he was an evil, evil guy. This has been going on as long as as long as men have had power. You know, law enforcement, uh, be it the, you know, the sheriffs back in the medieval days. I mean, look, it has gone on forever. It's just you give people power. You know, uh, there's an old saying that power corrupts and absolute power uh, corrupts. Absolutely. And it's true. So I don't know what the answer is, other than transparency and body cameras, like you know, and, and the, the traffic cameras that picked up some of this stuff uh, in Memphis. It, it just it, unconscionable to me that some of these guys had uh, body cameras that they either switched off or didn't have on at all. You know, uh, so there's got to be accountability. I don't know how we do this. It's it's a mess. Uh, I am very thankful that the protests nationwide were for the most part peaceful it is what the family called for which is great i will tell you how it would not have been peaceful if this had been five white officers beating the crap out of a black guy there would have been riots this was five black guys beating up another black guy so this wasn't about race this was about an abuse of power and these guys have all been charged with second-degree murder and good um there's you know and the finger pointing's already begun you know one of the guys was like well you know it happened but it wasn't my guy you know <laughs> so it's already you know it was it was him no it was him you know we saw the same thing with the George Floyd uh thing where you know rats jumping off a sinking ship and uh, but these guys are all going to jail as they should i mean it's just, I, uh, and you know and i don't know that we needed to see it 87,000 times on our television you know it's hard you know, and you can say, "Hey, the video is disturbing." All you want, people aren't turning away. And the number of kids that probably witnessed this and that already, you know, didn't trust the police, it's going to be, it's going to be even worse. I mean, what a thing to be showing our young children. So, uh, you know, I hope they, I hope these guys go to jail for the rest of their lives. It's just brutal. Uh, I mean, you, you, five guys on one, and the and the one guy they're beating up is cuffed. And, and, you know, somebody said, well, he tried to run away. Yeah, because they were he was running for his life because they were beating the crap out of him and they were tasing him, and he hadn't done anything. And he, and every time they'd tell him to do something, he was doing it. You know, get down the ground. He was, and he was kept saying, I'm doing what you're telling me to do. These guys were just, I don't know whether they were pissed off, whether they were spoiling for a fight. I have no idea. But, man, whew. you know, and it's just the kind of thing you, you see that, and, you know, and I look at I look at my wife and I go, you know, what what are we doing? You know, we, we look you know, we worry about whether, you know, Putin's going to drop nukes, you know, over in Ukraine, which could affect the whole world. You know, it's just one thing after another. And our society is just breaking down and we have, you know, bullies like Donald Trump as our president at one point and running for president again. And, you know, half the country like embracing this guy, this guy's hate. It's just awful. And it makes me really glad, and, and I don't know that I can escape it where I am down here, but it makes me glad I'm nowhere near a city. I mean, I'm two and a half hours from Atlanta, a couple hours from Chattanooga. I mean, I'm I'm not too close to, to any big cities, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm sure, it, you know, it can find me down here too. But, man, I'll tell you what, this is not the time I want to live anywhere near a major metro, metropolitan area because it's just it, – One thing after another, the mass shootings and, uh, you know, and when does it stop? When when does. Not just America, but when does society at some point worldwide step up and say enough? You know, we've had you have these utopian things, you know, like on on Star Trek. Right. They they talk about how uh, on Earth, you know, all conflicts have ended and, you know, everybody lives in peace and harmony. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know that that will ever happen. But at some point, don't, doesn't society have to step in and say enough, you know, but I don't know how, how, when, especially when, again, people are still going to be vying to be the one in charge and be the, you know, (laughs) have the power, but it's, you know, every day, every day. And I'm somebody who watches the news and I read three newspapers and I, you know, I, I, and it's it's depressing at times. It really is. It really is. So I hope at some point we figure this out. I don't know that it's going to be in my lifetime. So, all right, let's get to sports because God knows, uh, you know, <laughs> everything else going around sports is a nice diversion. Uh, let's start with the second game yesterday. Uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs defeating the Cincinnati Bengals yesterday, 23-20, to a Harrison Butker 45-yard field goal with eight seconds left. The difference in this one. Uh, But really, this was about the penalty that was called at the end uh, of the the Kansas City Chiefs' drive. Look, uh, Patrick Mahomes was running for a first down. They were not in field goal range. He runs out of bounds, and as he is running out of bounds, uh, Joseph Osai hits him. Clearly out of bounds, both feet out of bounds, not even close. They had to make this call you know, pushes Mahomes down, ends up getting hurt himself because he slams into the bench, he hurts his knee. But, you know, and so they tack on 15 yards to the end of the play. So now all of a sudden, with eight seconds left, instead of Mahomes trying to come up with some kind of a miracle play, um, you know, from the 45-yard line, with no timeouts left, by the way, you know, to try to get it in and maybe get a field goal off. Instead of that happening, now the ball is pushed 15 yards further in to the 28-yard line. They don't even mess around after that. They bring Butker in, he kicks the field goal, and the Chiefs end up winning the game. And there were people killing the referees. And look, there is no doubt that there were some calls missed in this. There were a couple of questionable calls as well. I get that. It's what happens in the NFL. It's what happens in every sport. You're going to disagree with referees' calls, but there can be no disagreement with the call that was made on the hit on Patrick Mahomes. And I saw some stuff afterwards, and and I get this. Patrick Patrick Mahomes is one of these guys, when he runs – he likes to tap dance along the sidelines sometimes. And, you know, you'll think he's going out of bounds, but what he'll do, and then all of a sudden he'll cut, you know, he'll just, he'll just keep his feet right along the sidelines and, and just, you know, pick up another five or ten yards. And people are so paranoid about roughing the, the quarterback or, you know, unnecessary roughness on the quarterback that they're afraid to hit him. And Mahomes takes advantage of that. So you, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't, because you've seen Mahomes do this before or any quarterback you've seen them do it before to try to pick up a couple of extra yards. And so you're, you know, you're kind of you know, you're not sure what to do. And Osai, you know, this wasn't close. But it's so hard. This game is so fast that stuff like that it's just going to happen. And I felt bad for the guy. You know, and at the end of the game, I mean, you could see he was visibly crying. Matter of fact, he put his helmet on so people couldn't see how, how badly he was breaking down because he knows he cost his team a chance to go to the Super Bowl. The first thing that I thought of when that happened and they end up winning the game, I of course, I'm a baseball guy, so the first thing I thought of was Bill Buckner with the Boston Red Sox in 1986, when that ball hit down the first base line, goes through Buckner's legs, and the Mets end up winning the World Series, in a game that the Red Sox looked like they had under control in the ninth inning, they end up losing it, and the ball goes through Buckner's legs. And Buckner was a dirty name in Boston for a long time. Now they finally came to terms with it, and and you know, but Buckner put up with a lot of crap for that. Osai is going to have the same problem you know he is I mean I saw people on social media I mean you know cut him immediately you know cut him before cut him before you even leave the locker room and I, look you know the thing is that it takes away from the fact that Osai actually had a pretty good game he had five tackles in the game uh, he got to uh, he got to Mahomes a couple of times knocked down a pass you know so it kind of takes away from the great game that he had. And I and again I feel badly because what are you going to do? You know, and his teammates stuck up for him at the end of the game. You know, Joe Burrow, the quarterback, said, "Hey, look, um, there were a lot of other plays that could have turned the tie. You know, the tide in this game in one second. That's not the only play that happened. And you know what? He should know because he threw a couple of interceptions in this game. You know, and and." One of them late when they had a chance with the game tied in Cincinnati with the ball. You know, there were a couple of calls they made. As a matter of fact, it was, uh, the last interception he threw was on a, you know, they only needed three yards for a first down. And instead of trying to pick up the first down, they threw it about 30 yards down the field and it ended up getting picked off. He didn't understand that. So, you know, the Osai play obviously is the, the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. And, but it wasn't, you know, that wasn't the story of the game. And Burrow got sacked five times, looked at his offensive line, was hurting, and Kansas City was all over him. But perhaps the play of the game, you know, and this kind of gets lost a little bit, was when uh, Cincinnati got the ball back and had the punt with under a minute to play. The, the punt return by Sky Moore, the rookie from the Kansas City Chiefs, who's had a rough year, no doubt about it, but he returned the, the punt 29 yards. He returned that punt damn near to midfield, got the Chiefs in position to actually even have a chance to kick that field goal, the penalty aside. That was really the play of the game. And, of course, you look at the replay afterwards, and they were like, Two blocks in the back that probably should have been called against the Chiefs, uh, but, you know, they didn't call them. So, of course, Cincinnati fans, you know, as soon as your team doesn't win, it's it's automatically fixed. You know, I saw things <laughs> like, well, oh, you know, uh, the NFL is rigged. The WWE is actually real. You know, I mean, you know, this is the kind of – it's just stupid stuff. But the play of the game really was that punt return. Because if not for that, Mahomes probably doesn't have a chance. They only had one timeout left, and they would have had about 40 seconds to play, and, you know, they were probably screwed. And the Chiefs had to overcome, you know, a bunch of injuries as well. Their best cornerback, LeJaria Sneed, left the game with a concussion in the first quarter. They end up losing three three wide receivers in the game. Tony, Hardman, and uh, Smith-Schuster all went out of the game. So, I mean, it was like, you know, Patrick Mahomes towards the end of the game was running out of options. And he already came into the game with that high ankle sprain, and he was gimpy the whole game. And you think he only had three yards rushing up until that final scramble that got him the first down and the penalty and and set the whole thing up. And you could see after that, I mean, he was hurting. I mean, of course, immediately. Now, the good news is, I guess, for the Chiefs is he's going to have two weeks to get better, but a high ankle sprain is not something that heals quickly and you know he tested it yesterday and look and he did some remarkable things on a guy basically on one leg you know some of the moves he made in the pocket some of the passes he got off you know and and not and, and doing it off of his off leg instead of you know being able to to fully plant because of that bad ankle you got to give him a lot of credit so i feel bad for osai um and the Chiefs really escape here. They had, you know, look. And I, I, one of my good friends, Eric Braun, who I do a podcast with, is uh, a Kansas City Chiefs fan who lives down in the Houston, Texas area. And he said to me after the game on a on a text message, he said, "He says I don't think we were going to win that game if it goes to overtime." I mean, he recognizes how lucky they got. You know, so you know that's that was probably you know Osai really, really cost them. So did the five sacks against Joe Burrow. So did the two interceptions. Look, you know, there was, again, so many other things you could, you could point to. But, you know, there's no doubt that the referees had to throw that flag. They had to. And uh, so the Chiefs returned to the Super Bowl. And look, you know, there's going to be some great matchups in the Super Bowl. This is a great story because in the other game, The Philadelphia Eagles, the team that Andy Reid, the current coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, used to coach, beat the San Francisco 49ers. So Andy Reid is going to go up against his old team in the Super Bowl. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, You know, the first game, the, the, the Eagles 49ers game, was a blowout. It was a disappointment. But... The 49ers had been on a razor's edge all season because of the number of injuries that they had had, especially to the quarterback position. I mean, Trey Lance, who comes into training camp, is supposedly going to be your starting quarterback for the season in his second year, breaks an ankle in the first game. He's done. Jimmy Garoppolo, who you didn't think was even going to be on your team, you were looking to try to trade the guy, Ends up having to step in. He gets hurt. And now they got to go to Brock Purdy, a guy who's your third-string quarterback, a guy who was they called Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the NFL draft, ends up having to step in and does an absolutely incredible job, gets him there. Well, then what happens? Purdy gets hurt in the first quarter, hurts his elbow, he has to come to the sideline and tell his coach, I can't go. You know, I mean, he said he couldn't throw the ball more than 10 yards. And, you know, when he was in there, he was four for four, right? Um, <laughs> but he got – the ball got hit, or his arm got hit. It was a, uh, you know, a strip sack and uh, hurt the elbow. And so they, they got to go to Josh Johnson who's, I guess, technically, I guess your four-string quarterback, right? He ends up getting a concussion. You know, but at least, you know, and look, he's nothing to write home about, but at least when he's in there, you still had the option to throw in the football. Well, he gets sacked, goes down, whacks his head off the turf. He has a concussion. So now what do you do? Who's your emergency quarterback then? It's Christian McCaffrey. You're running back. That's what they're down to. In the NFC Championship game. It was so bad. I mean, and they knew with McCaffrey, they, they weren't going to be able to throw the ball. So they got to go back to Brock Purdy. Well, guess what? Brock Purdy can't throw the ball either. And the Eagles knew it. So they didn't have to play the pass. They just lined up and said, you're not running the football because we know You can't throw it. And it was fooling nobody. I mean, the 49ers ended up with 164 yards of offense in the entire game because they couldn't throw the football for the last half of the game with Brock Purdy in there because his elbow was hurt. So this game was over. I mean, it was over at halftime anyway. Anyway. You know, this was a 7 7 game, don't forget. Midway through the second quarter, when McCaffrey, you know, ran for 23 yards for a touchdown to tie it up. But then the Eagles scored two touchdowns in the last minute and a half of the second quarter. It's 21 7. Game over. When you don't have a guy that can throw the football and the other team knows it, you have zero chance. So if you're the 49ers, I mean, Jesus, you're probably going to have to carry six quarterbacks next year. It's crazy. So now the Eagles will go back to the Super Bowl. It'll be the fourth Super Bowl in franchise history. And for the Chiefs, it'll be their third Super Bowl in four years. They won it, of course, three years ago. But, you know, look, and Jalen Hurts was not great yesterday for the Eagles, a guy who's an MVP candidate. I think, you know, I think, as Dan Zampano said on, uh, on Friday, he's pretty sure that Mahomes is going to win, and he's probably right. But Jalen Hurts was good enough. You know, Jalen Hurts' shoulder still isn't right. But what he did was he took care of the football. He did not throw any interceptions, did not fumble the football, ran when he needed to. And did enough. But the Eagles just ran all over the 49ers. And, you know, look, the 49ers defense was one of the best defenses in the NFL, but the Eagles defense is pretty good, too. And when you take half half of your possible offensive attack away, this was no contest. So the 49ers go home, and uh, we have a uh, – And I think the NFL really wanted this, to be honest with you. I think they, you know, they needed Kansas City to be in this thing because a Cincinnati-Philly Super Bowl was not going to move the needle. You know, Patrick Mahomes is kind of the media darling and the darling of a lot of people around the country because he's the hot quarterback. Although, you know, Joe Burrow, if he had gotten them back into back-to-back Super Bowls, as as Dan said, you know, on Friday – you know, you might have to start thinking about him as maybe is he the best quarterback in the NFL right now. But, you know, uh, and, and you can say what you want, that the Chiefs got lucky, yada, yada, yada. Look, at the end of the day, we're going to have our first Super Bowl with two black quarterbacks. How about that? Right? Two black story, starting quarterbacks for the first time ever. You know, I'm, you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a day when we don't have to address a first, you know, uh, you know, if you know, have two black head coaches or two black, you know, this or two, you know, it's race has become such a huge issue, and, and you can't get away from it. You know, from the from the Tyree Nichols thing uh, to to the NFL to the NBA to major league baseball, you just can't get away from it. But that was something that was brought up. It's going to be the first Super Bowl um, with uh, black starting quarterbacks. The guy I am really happy for is Nick Sirianni, the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. People were killing the Eagles for signing Sirianni. Sirianni, who had been an an offensive line coach. You know, people didn't understand this hiring. There were some other sexy names out there. And the ownership got skewered by their fans for hiring this guy. And all they've done is run their way to the Super Bowl. You know, think about this too, Jalen Hurts. You know, he missed a few games this year with that shoulder injury as a starting quarterback, including the playoffs. He's sixteen and one this year. Sixteen and one. You know, and people still don't want to give Sirianni credit to say, well, you know, look at this roster; it's the greatest roster ever." And you're, well, it's not the greatest roster ever. Let's relax. But they're just trying to say, ah, "I could have coached the, the Eagles." Really? You try it, because Jeff Saturday, the guy who's in, who who uh, was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, had never been a head coach. You know, he coached high school football. You know, how did he work out as a head coach in the NFL? Not too well. So, you know, I think that uh Nick Sirianni doesn't get enough credit for what he did with this Eagles team, and I am uh, I am happy for him. And I think, you know, I haven't seen the odds. I don't know, I you know, I haven't seen the initial odds on the on the Super Bowl, but I think if it's me, I think the Eagles are probably a 3-4 point favorite. And I'm probably completely wrong, people, because Vegas loves the Chiefs. I could be completely wrong here, but I think the Eagles win this thing. It'll be fun to watch, you know. A lot, but a lot of this is, you know, and we really have two injured quarterbacks when you think about it. Jalen Hurts is not 100 percent; he's probably 80, 85 percent. Patrick Mahomes, we saw how gimpy he was on that with that high ankle sprain, you know, that he suffered against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the divisional round of the playoffs. So neither one of these quarterbacks is 100%. Now, that, was ex- that, that extra week off, and I hate it. I hate the fact that there's the Super Bowl is not this coming weekend. I hate the, the off week. But having said that, it may be the best thing for both these teams. You know, the Chiefs got to hope that some of these wide receivers that got injured in the game are going to be back and ready to go in the Super Bowl. I mean, you know it's the Super Bowl. People are going to play if they can. But that extra week, I think, is going to be beneficial, especially – Especially for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's 33 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on Sports Country. It is thirty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call here on a Monday morning. Um, you know, the other thing uh about the game yesterday, and uh I have to give uh Joseph Osai a lot of credit. Um I'm not sure if it had been me if i if I had done something like that, if i had would have been man enough to stand up and talk to the reporters after the game, I'm just being honest i just, I think I would have wanted to go crawl in a hole and uh and not come out for a couple of months, but at the end of the game, Joseph Osai stood up at his locker and took questions from reporters and, and and answered, you know, and one of his teammates, I can't remember who it was, but there was one of his teammates that stood right there with him um, just to kind of offer uh, some moral support and actually, you know, piped in a couple of times and said some things. But give him a lot of credit, you know, for stepping up and, you know, and, and saying, hey, you know, I got to be better. And, you know, it, you know, uh, Again, it's it's a it's a uh, it's it's a game that is so fast. Things happen in the blink of an eye, and and uh, you know you can understand how this can happen. You, you really can. But Osai said, "I'm going to learn from this, you know. And if there's a quarterback close to the sideline, I gotta I gotta remember, you know, I can't do this, you know, I can't make that kind of mistake again." So, you know, again, I I take my hat off to him. Good for him. Good for him. Uh, Other NFL news yesterday. The Dolphins hired Vic Fangio as their defensive coordinator. Fangio, of course, the former head coach uh, with the Denver Broncos for uh, about two and a half years, went 19-30 and as a head coach. Uh, The Dolphins fired their defensive coordinator uh, after three seasons. It was Josh Boyer. They were 18th in total defense, but they were 27th against the pass. And they were tied uh for twenty fourth uh with teams going uh on third down and Fangio's a guy that around the league has always been respected as a as a good uh, defensive mind, so I think that this was a uh, I think this is a solid move by the dolphins you know look there's some guys that are just <laughs> better off being coordinators you know than being head coaches you know sometimes uh you know, sometimes it it sounds great to want to be the chief, right? But sometimes it's better to just be one of the Indians. You know, sometimes pe- some people are just better suited for that. You know, because I can't, even, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine what it, what it's like to try to. Uh, run an NFL team with with all those guys and and all the personalities. You know, same with a major league baseball team or a hockey team or a basketball team. There's some big big egos and big big money, and it is not as easy as some people might think. Oh, I could do that. Yeah, good luck. Um, former NFL or, or future NFL player, I should say, Stetson Bennett, of course, the quarterback for the University of Georgia, who led them to a back-to-back national championships, was arrested uh, early Sunday morning in the Dallas area and charged with public intoxication. And he spent uh, a few hours in the slammer until somebody came and bailed him out. I guess he was uh, uh, going around, he was downtown or whatever, and he was banging on doors supposedly he was trying to find, I guess he was staying with a friend or something. It was trying to find his friend's apartment. And so he was going around banging on doors and uh, the cops arrested him. And uh, uh, so, you know, I mean, look, at the end of the day, this is not that big a deal, but when you are an NFL team, and there's already been questions about whether Stetson Bennett will be a good pro or not, because he's not very big. He's only about 5'11". And, You know, there's questions about his his accuracy, et cetera, et cetera. When you are an NFL team and you are looking at whether Stetson Bennett might be a good fit or not, the fact that he was walking around public drunk, it's one of those things. While it may not seem that big a deal to you and me, an NFL team is going to look at that and say, could this guy be a distraction going down the road? What if he's our starting quarterback in three years and he gets caught, you know, pulled over on a DUI or something like that? Look, teams have to think about those things. When you are going to invest millions and millions and millions of dollars in a young quarterback or a young wide receiver or whatever, these are things that you have to consider. I mean, look at what happened with Deshaun Watson. Right? I mean... You know, I'm not saying that Stetson Bennett's public de- you know public drunkenness is the same as what what you know Deshaun Watson did, but these are the kinds of things you know we have seen it time and time again where guys you know you know professional athletes acting badly, getting themselves in in a jam. There's a lot of money involved here, and teams would be silly if they don't do their due diligence. And you have to wonder if Stetson Bennett would just this one stupid thing. You know, and he wasn't hurting anybody, and he wasn't driving a car. All he was doing is walking around banging on some doors, but at the end of the day, you have to wonder if what Stetson Bennett did this weekend didn't just hurt his draft possibilities. I mean, it sounds stupid, uh, but you have to wonder. Um, if you're not a Boston Celtics or a Los Angeles Lakers fan, you may have missed this over the weekend, but on Saturday night... The Lakers came into Boston, and uh, at the end of the game, with 1.8 seconds left, LeBron James drove to the basket, put up a shot, got fouled, clearly got fouled, and it wasn't called. Game ends up going into overtime, and the Celtics win the game in overtime over the Lakers, 125-121. Well, when they don't make that call with one point eight seconds left, I mean LeBron James was as uh, animated as I've ever seen him. I mean, holding up his arm and he's kneeling down, slamming on the on the ground. I got to tell you, if it wasn't LeBron James with the histrionics, he might have gotten a technical foul for showing up the refs like that. Having said that, he got fouled. It was it was missed so badly that. As soon as the game was over, one of the referees said, "We missed it. We missed it." The NBA had to issue an apology, saying, "Yes, they missed it." The referees' union came out and said, "Yes, they blew it." You know, and uh, you know, the, <laughs> I love this. Uh, the 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 referees' union said, "Well, like everybody else, referees make mistakes." <laughs> We made one at the end of last night's game, and this is gut-wrenching for us. This play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights as we strive to be the best referees we can be. Oh, for God's sake. Look, they blew a call. It happens. They're human. There's no way that you are going to be able to get every play right. It's the same thing as a Major League Baseball umpire. You cannot possibly get every play. Ball and strike call right. It's you you just can't. And I don't, you know. And this is why people are calling for robot umpires in Major League Baseball so that we can get them all right. Hey, news flash. The the robots don't get them all right either, you know. Especially in you know they can do that in tennis, where they have this. uh, you know, this system where you can see whether a ball was actually in or out, and it's accurate because there's – all look, it's either in or it's out. You know, the problem with the Major League Baseball strike zone is it's up, down, in, out. It's not just, hey, did you hit the line or not hit the line. There's a lot of uh, nuance to a Major League Baseball strike zone and the way the balls break, et cetera, et cetera. They're not the, – the robots aren't going to get it all right either. This happens. Was it you know? Was it egregious? Yes. I, but let me say this: LeBron James, and not just LeBron James, Michael Jordan, any Magic Johnson, any big star in the NBA through the years has gotten away with murder. LeBron James travels more often than I have seen anybody, and he gets away with it time and time again. They never call it. Same thing happened with Michael Jordan. Same thing happened with Magic. Same thing happened with Bur- – look, they just – the superstars get away with things that you wouldn't normally get away with. They get the benefit of the doubt. This was one that didn't go LeBron James's way. Did they blow it? Absolutely. But if I'm LeBron James, in my scorecard with the referees, I've gotten way more breaks than I've gotten screwed. I mean way more. And you, know, it, and, and, you know, the Lakers, it, it made worse because the Lakers are having a tough season. They've had a tough few seasons. Right now, they're 13th in the Western Conference. They're two games out of the play-in spot into the playoffs. That's how bad it's been for them. So, you know, and the, the Celtics have, you know, the second-best record in the NBA right now. So if you're the Lakers, you're going, good Lord, it's not bad enough that we're playing a great team. Now the referees are against us, too. Yep, they missed it, but again, it's what happens, you know. And LeBron gets the benefit of the doubt more often than not. It's forty-five minutes past the hour. Go take one more break. Back to wrap things up. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's forty-eight minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. Got a few minutes left before we get out of here. Uh, just quick note: no show tomorrow. I uh, got a couple of things going on down here, so we'll have no show tomorrow. But we will be here the rest of the week. Uh, but uh, we will not be here tomorrow. Uh, before the football games yesterday, matter of fact, uh, well, let me, I, was, I watched the UConn women's basketball game. They started at 2 o'clock. The, the game ended up being so compelling that I forgot. I, I forgot the playoff games that started. And I missed uh, part of the first quarter uh, of the Eagles uh, 49er game because I was watching um, UConn play Villanova. Uh, in women's basketball, a game that I did not expect to be that close. Villanova was ranked 21st, but UConn's ranked 5th, and I really thought UConn would just drill them. And it looked early like they were going to. They had an 8-point lead in the first quarter, and uh, then the second and third quarters happened. UConn scored, I think, just 8 points in the second, 10 points in the third, and they were fortunate uh, that they were only down a couple at the end of the third quarter. They went through the, the first... Almost five minutes of the third quarter without scoring. It was brutal. Um, Gino Auriemma, who usually has a short bench, and of course they've had so many injuries, they don't have that many healthy players, took things to a new level yesterday. He played just six players. And the sixth player that he put in um, played only six minutes, Ayanna Patterson. Six minutes. So his starters played the entire game with the exception of six minutes and he says you know it's funny after the game you know when he's talking to reporters he goes you just gotta you know gut it out somehow you know some way he said i thought today was the first game all year when we look really tired well i would think so when you every, they played more than you know they've only played seven people most of the season it gets to you after a while and i know in some cases he has no, he's had had no choice You know, with Becker's missing the season and Brady missing the whole season, um, you know, A.Z. Fudd, who's, who's, you know, played a handful of games early and then came back, played a game and a half and hurt her knee again, she's still out. Caroline Ducharme hasn't played in a month and a half. I mean, I get it, but it's inevitable that they're going to get tired. You know, and it didn't help that they were playing, you know, yesterday – Against a team with Maddie Seagrest, who leads the nation in scoring. is averaging like 29 a game. And, you know, she they kept her down in the first half. But she came out in the second half on fire. And Lou lopez Seneschal, who's been so great, the uh, graduate transfer from Fairfield University, been so great. Uh, she had 26 in their game the other day against Tennessee. She came out yesterday, had six points. She was two for 13. But it's one of those things where, look, you know, after she throws in 26, I'm sure the Villanova coaching staff, when they were watching the game film, said, well, she's not beating us. We're going to make somebody else beat us. Well, Dorka Juhasz had a, had a big game yesterday. Aliyah Edwards, 13 points. and made some big free throws down the stretch. Had a big block shot. And Aubrey Griffin had 19 points. I love Aubrey Griffin. You know, if she can stay healthy, she is the most athletic player on this team and it's not close. But uh, you know, they were tired. There's no question. And they only had 7 fast break points in the game, you know, UConn wasn't able to have its usual game of going up and down the floor and maybe they just weren't capable. But, you know, look, they keep it rolling. Uh, the new AP poll comes out today. They'll I imagine they'll stay 5th. Maybe they'll get actually they may may jump up a little bit cuz Number two, Ohio State has lost three straight games now, so they're going to plummet. Uh, But uh, UConn continues to roll, and uh, they now will play at Providence on Wednesday. And then number one, South Carolina, comes to play them at the XL Center on Saturday. You know, they better hope that Caroline Ducharme can come back from that concussion, and uh, AZ Fudd is able to play on Sunday or this may not be a close game with South Carolina. South Carolina might beat them by twenty. Look, these girls have done some remarkable stuff, uh, shorthanded all year, but it comes to a point where you just run out of gas. And they looked, they looked on Saturday, uh, Saturday or Sunday. I mean, against a good team in Villanova, they looked like they were out of gas. So uh, hopefully. You know, Ducharme and Fudd can come back. They just need the bodies. They need just somebody else to play some minutes. It's crazy. Uh, The Bruins lost yesterday. They lost their third straight game. The team with the best record in the NHL who was on track to set an NHL record for most wins in a season, most points in a season. Uh, All of a sudden, on a five-game road trip, have lost the first three games. One of them they lost in overtime. The game They played on Saturday in Florida. The Bruins scored to go ahead with 48 seconds left. Florida tied it up with 1.8 seconds left and then won it 19 seconds into the overtime. So you go from like 48 seconds away from winning to all of a sudden in less than a minute losing the game. Unbelievable. That's that's the kind of trip it's been. Yesterday they got spanked by the Carolina Hurricanes 4-1. to uh, It was really a 3-1 game, and uh, Carolina got a uh, an empty netter at the end. But, you know. Boston's power play has gone to sleep. Last three games, they are 0 for 6 on the power play. So, look, nobody needs to push the panic button. Nobody's feeling bad for the, uh, for the Boston Bruins. But, you know, it's a long season, and the Bruins have a couple of days off, and uh, they will play at Toronto on Wednesday night in game four of this road trip. And, uh, you know, they need to get a couple of wins to come back, uh, at least feel better about themselves when they get home. Uh, Novak Djokovic won his 22nd Grand Slam title uh, this weekend. He won the Australian Open. It was his 10th Australian Open title. Uh, The 22 Grand Slams, by the way, the only people ahead of him are women. Margaret Court won 24 and Serena Williams won 23. So, uh, you know, when you're uh, building your pantheon of the best men's tennis players ever, you know, and there's been some great ones. Novak Djokovic is going to probably be at the top of that. You know, and uh, he's 35 years old. He's still got some good tennis left in him. Of course, he wasn't allowed to be there last year because, uh, because of COVID. And uh, so he was pretty emotional at the end of this one. But uh, he wins uh, in straight sets uh, on uh, Saturday. Uh, Rory McIlroy won the Dubai Desert Classic by one shot over Patrick Reed. Thank God, Patrick Reed, the blowhard who left the PGA Tour to go to LIV Golf. And he had a little spat with McIlroy over the weekend or over the during the week. Like threw a tea at him or something while McElroy was on the range and he was like, you know, McElroy didn't want to talk to him. You know, he's been one of the outspoken critics of of the Breakaway Tour and Patrick Reed is uh, is a jerk. Not you know, I mean, he was a jerk when he was on the PGA Tour and has been caught in a lot of rules violations and uh, you know, and is suing everybody. And it's like McElroy is like, well, you know, what does he expect me to do? You know, what do you think I'm just going to forget everything? So, uh, good for McElroy. He picks up the win in Dubai. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Hey, it's Phil Collins' birthday today, too. Gene Hackman's 93. Phil Collins is 72. i got to admit, I'm not a big Phil Collins fan. I don't like Genesis. It is one of my wife's favorites. So, in honor for my wife and for Phil Collins' 72nd birthday. We leave you this morning with a little Phil Collins music in the air tonight. Have a great Monday. We'll see you on Wednesday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.